Hello, everyone. Welcome to Seek Go Create. This is your host, Tim Winders. Great conversation we're going to have, and it's going to be on, uh, you know, we could say relationships, but there's a word that I've been using a good bit lately just called connecting and, and building connections with people. And it's been a while since I've seen, I've read portions of a few of the books that our guest has written. It's been a while since I've seen some good practical tips and ways of going about doing that, especially in the work environment that a lot of people have challenges with building connections in. Today, we have a guest that's going to help us with that. And so uh, I'm excited that you're here. I want to mention one thing really quickly before I get to the guest, though, and that is share what we're doing at Seek Go Create. We've got a great website. We've got we're on all the socials. We are Seek Go Create everywhere. And we're doing a lot of great things here. And so share what we're doing because we know there's a lot of people that need to hear what we're talking about. Today, I have Mareg Barrett. She's an executive coach, leadership expert who teaches and helps leaders achieve outstanding results through the power of their professional relationships. She and her company, Sky Team, have supported the development of more than 10,000 leaders from 20 countries and six continents. I will tell you, she has much more to her bio, but in the, um, and to keep it timely here, I'm just going to say, Marag, welcome to Seat Go Create. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have a great conversation. I'm going to ask you first that uh, let's just pretend we meet somewhere. And I love this with someone who's got, uh, you know, big on relationships and connecting and icebreakers. We meet somewhere and I just say, hey, what do you do? Marag, what do you tell people that you do? Uh, well, it does depend on the context and where we're meeting. And if I'm feeling a little bit minxy and Machiavellian, then you might get the uh, the tongue-in-cheek answer. But in terms of what pays the bills, I am passionate about one thing, how business gets done. And as you know, there are many people in the world who have a great idea, a great product or service. That's what gets done. But the true secret to success, the relationship is the quality of the relationships that we have. And even as a solopreneur, you are dependent on others for your success. So that's what I do. I help build high performing organizations, teams and leaders by looking deliberately and thoughtfully at how to create meaningful connections, if I use your words, powerful relationships. That means that we are working together to achieve the what versus butting heads and creating politics, silos and turf wars that get in the way of success. Yeah, and I, 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 I love how you tied that word connection in. I don't know why that word has just been rolling around in my head for a few years now. And I think it probably goes back to pre-pandemic. The pandemic even added an exclamation point. But before I go further, let's just say you wanted to give me the cheeky answer <laughs> to, what, to what you do. Let's, pretend, let's just pretend I don't know we're in a... <clears throat> A more, um, so, a more frivolous atmosphere and environment. What would that be? Because now you've piqued my interest. <laughs> let's, okay, well, let's have it, fun. <laughs> I, I used this one actually with an executive team. I'm working with the senior leader, Fortune 100 team. And I walked into the executive meeting and I described my role as threefold. One is the herder of cats. 
i.e. get on your break, get back on time, let's get through your agenda and finish before midnight, whatever it might be. Because if we can't get those basic things right, how are we going to do the complex things like run a multi-billion dollar company? So herder of cats. The second is a truth speaker and a truth seeker. So I'm good at listening deeply and connecting dots and also asking questions that cause people to pause and reflect before they just answer. That can get to new understanding, finding a way through a problem or a difficult situation that you might not otherwise have seen. So herder of cats, truth seeker and truth speaker. And then the third one, which makes me sound quite daring, is poker of bears. So I like to poke the bear. So that goes taking the question and answer session a little bit deeper, which is challenging assumptions about what is and isn't possible individually and collectively that again can result in step changes that transform organizations and results. So there you go. I'll go with that one. Herder of cats, truth seeker and speaker and poker of bears. Well, we are going to get along famously and uh, and I actually used the term herding cats yesterday in meeting with uh, a head of an organization that I am doing some work with and that he was complaining or saying something. I said, does it ever feel like you're herding cats? And he goes, that's exactly what it feels like. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure that anyone knows what it actually means to herd cats, but most people know that that uh, reference. And I've actually sent out the... Um, the 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 gif gif of the uh the cats being herded in that commercial that they used yes i was gonna say that was hilarious isn't it with the cowboys trying to herd the guests it is worth going looking for it just google it the googles will give you everything you want for and sometimes more but the cat herding advert is worth watching knowing knowing how well the people do that transcribe our podcast and then put our notes on the website they will probably find a link and include it in the notes so uh Mm -hmm. so that'll be good well the the reason reason I like all of those is it that speaks to my soul because it's something that that I have found myself in now as as you know those can make you incredibly well received in some some areas and then also in some areas it can make some people uncomfortable and maybe bristle and things like that and the question I've got for you after I hear after I heard that introduction is how many people out in the world are doing that and how many more do we need to be doing it? Because um, I don't see many people doing what you just described yourself as saying you do. Oh, in terms of providing this as a service to help others? Even even well, living their uh, lives and, that way, even living their lives that way, seeking truth oh. and, and, you know, herding cats and poking at, at, you know, the bears or tradition or the way we've always done it. I, 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 and I'm also getting to where with the digital age that people are slinking into a very passive role where they gripe and complain about things, but they don't actually pursue that. So you, you kind of pulled my string a little bit with that. Well, now we have a tangled web because there's so many strings I just want to pull on there. But I agree with everything that you've just said, Tim, and culpable negligence. My name is Morag Barrett, and I'm not always doing this. And the whole point of both Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships and my new book, You, Me, We, Why We All Need a Friend at Work and How to Show Up as One, is actually not about perfection, but it is about being present in the moment and making a conscious choice as to how do I need to show up, being intentional in that and aligning 
it to who am I and what makes Morag's leadership different to yours, Tim, but also being respectful of what you and those listening to the show today might need. And I think that's the mistake I know that I've made in the past and the leaders that I'm working with right now is that they are not fully present. They rush from one hamster wheel to the next, from one Zoom call to another, and they aren't pausing long enough to think about, okay, am I, what energy am I bringing? What am I carrying from the conversation before that I might need to put down and let go of so that I can be at my best? Does this next conversation require the chatty morag or the more reflective morag, the more directive and pushy morag or the more supportive morag? And if we aren't flexing, that's when we can be making mistakes as leaders. And you talked about it in an earlier show, I was reading the transcript, where our misunderstood genius gets labeled at best as somebody else's brilliant jerk or at worst, just the jerk. So it's in all our interests, be thoughtful about our leadership, how we show up and then make a choice as to the behaviors we need to demonstrate in that moment so that we can ultimately be better together. Mm. So that's one thread I've pulled on there, Tim. So what questions, where do we go from here? <laughs> well, I, there, there's one thing that if, if I'm the listener, because it would actually, is actually something that as I was reading through, I've, I've read portions of the two books that are for those people watching over your left shoulder there and, and have enjoyed them. And I, I'll, I'll share some things about that in just a moment. We'll talk, we'll really do a deep dive into the books. But um, I, there was one thing that I will say we've done 170 shows now here at Seek Go Create. And I've, I'm 58 years old. I've met a lot of people. I have never met anyone with the name Morag. <laughs> and, and I actually Googled, what does it mean? It has a great meaning. Tell, give us the name story here, because I'm intrigued by that. And I would think someone listening goes, well, what a unique name. Well, thank you. It does cause confusion. And one of my hobbies when I'm not um, working and appearing on podcasts, working with leaders is as a ballroom dancer. And that was a great leadership learning lesson because I had to get up close with strangers. I had to learn to let go of control. I mean, there's so much we can touch on that later. But of course, when you get up to dance, invariably your partner will say, so what's your name? And when I would say Morag, I could literally feel them freeze and go, what? sorry, say that again. And I made the mistake at one time of using my Starbucks alias, which is Emma, which is my dad's nickname for me as a child from Emma Peel of the Avengers. But of course, when the guys would come back to ask me to dance again, they say, remind me of your name. Then I had to say, oh, did I tell you it was Morag or Emma? And of course, I'm not messing with them. I was trying to make life easier. So coming back to the origin, the name Morag is the name my parents gave me because I've also had people say, well, what sort of name is that? It's actually a Scottish name, it's Gaelic. It means great, and my maiden name was Morag MacLeod. And the MacLeod clan is based on the Isle of Skye, which is off the west coast of Scotland. Hence, my company is called Sky Team. So there you go, you get a little potted history, both about the name and the company name. Any uh, pressure when your name means great that one feels that they have to live up to certain expectations? <laughs> Oh, trust me, Tim, I have got too many self-imposed pressures and imposter syndromes and should-haves and could-haves. That is not one of 
them but owning the name it means i can go a bit like share because invariably i am only the only morag though i did work with another morag once in my career and we used to get each other's emails which was amusing at the time so it's common in scotland or more common in scotland not as common as it was and and so when i did the search i found that meaning and and a little bit of the background Mm -hmm. of it and how it relates to other names and then there was this other little blurb that says there was a planet in the guardians of the galaxy movies that they used as a name so uh, anyway we will not go down there planet it is also allegedly the name of the cousin of the loch ness monster so uh, yeah. Well, very. I'll go with being a planet and an interplanetary yeah. galactic mystery. How about that? Let's let's <laughs> yeah, let's move all off that and and just a, a few other little kind of personal icebreakery things I saw not only the ballroom dancing but hope I'm even pronouncing this right. The bassoon. Are you a classical yes. musician? I think I saw a picture of you with an instrument. I go, I'm not even sure I know what that is. <laughs> Um, I thought I did, but I, I obviously don't. That's something I'm very ignorant of, and I'm okay admitting that. Um, my wife and I have been doing ballroom dancing, though. We, we started, quick side sort of, sort of story here. I gifted her. I said, you know, we need to do some things together to kind of stretch us that, mm-hmm. you know, are, mm-hmm. we, we dance, but it's more of a freestyle thing. Let's do something that's structured. And so uh, uh, Christmas of 2019, I gave her ballroom dance lessons and we were in Colorado where our first grandchild was coming along and we went and we did a lesson and we did one of the extra classes and we were doing okay learning a few of the basic steps and then COVID occurred Mm -hmm. and they told us that if we were going to continue doing ballroom dancing we would have to do it in gloves (laughs) and masks (laughs) And we looked yes. at each other, and I'm not making any indictment on that. I'm just saying that wasn't quite the atmosphere I was no. looking for with ballroom dancing with my wife. And so we haven't done it, but we're about to start back up again. So uh, that's, a, that's a good lesson. And you mentioned something that I think is a leadership lesson that I've learned about myself. I consider myself leader in all of that, but I actually am not very good at leading in ballroom dancing and and the reason why is I like to freestyle now that probably is something that I really need to investigate but I'm I don't play well with the structure of the steps so anyway tell yeah yeah is it the structure of the steps I, I know from my own journey I was like because I'm used to being pretty good at control I'm a quick study and it's control and it's how difficult can it be because it's left right left right well i had six left feet and 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 they do they teach you the basics and they go over and over until it becomes muscle memory but that's where tim you are going to soar because once you have those basic steps you are going to be able to freestyle all you want because your freestyle is the order in which you put them together the fact that you have to have an eye on the other dancers so that you're not backing your partner into them especially if you're about to do a big flourish and a big turn it is one of the most exhilarating things that i have done and it's both a physical and a mental workout and so much on the leadership both in that trust and the lead follow that needs to happen because if i have a less confident partner it's easier for me to back lead, but I can't dominate because it's going to intimidate. And it has to be a partnership of equals. 
Mm-hmm. So you're going to, I, I hope you're going to, but I know that I enjoy ballroom dancing. I encourage everybody or going down to the Grizzly Rose in Denver and doing some more, the cowboy cha-cha. But it's been a great opportunity to meet people that I wouldn't have done otherwise and to do something that is completely different to, but connected to what I do in my day job. You just, you, I, I wasn't going to go this deep right now. I wanted to give a little <laughs> bit of background, but you brought up the word trust. And I think I read mm-hmm. it in one of uh, in one of the books last night talking about trust. So so let's go ahead and and go from light and fluffy a little bit ballroom dancing, and let's just go down to some foundational principles of relationships, and talk about because you mentioned it there and just the, the the having a partner and dancing, the level of trust. And it, this is fascinating. I've been married thirty four years, but my wife mm-hmm. and I are really. It, it causes us when we're dancing to ask, how much do you trust? Do you, does she trust me to move and do what we're about to do? And do I trust her to follow what I'm about to do? And you know what? It's, it's stretching us. Talk about how that relates mm-hmm. to relationships. Well, certainly early in my career, and I started my career back in England in finance. And I remember being told it's not personal, it's just business. And it didn't sit right with me then. And it's one of the reasons I moved from the numbers side to the people side, the how business gets done and the two books, because all business is personal. And if it is personal and if relationships matter, then relationships are built on that foundation of trust. And in my research, my team and I have identified four questions, four questions that underpin every relationship professional and personal, four questions that we're asking ourselves consciously or subconsciously that make the difference between a high trust ally relationship or a low trust adversarial relationship. And the people watching and listening to this episode are asking these questions of you and I right now. So question number one is, can I count on you? It is the table stakes reactive question that asks and answers, can I count on you to deliver a podcast and finish it within the hour and job done? Can I count on you to do the spreadsheet, get me the piece in the puzzle so I can move on in whatever work that we're doing together? Question number two is, can I depend on you? And that moves from reactive to proactive. It's the, can I depend on you to go the extra mile, to spot the typo in the PowerPoint and fix it and let me know? And these first two questions are transactional. You do your thing, I do my thing, and we'll be okay. But of course, in today's modern environment, at the pace of change, okay is not enough. We're all exceeding, looking to exceed expectations, which brings in questions three and four and makes them so important. So question three is, do I care about you? And not in a group hug, trustful type of way, but do I care about you and your success as much as I do my own? Do I know a little bit about your life story beyond the job title and host of Seek and Go Create? Seek, Grow, Go Create? Do I know a little bit about your where you're living and the fact that you're a ballroom dancer? So it allows us to connect at a human level. And just as an aside, I was reading a recent article that um, many leaders report that in the last two weeks, nobody has called to check in on how they're doing. They're only calling to see what we're doing. 
So think about that as you're listening. When was the last time you reached out on some, to somebody on your team just to see how they're doing? How's the family? What's happening in their lives versus just getting down to business? And then question number four, the kicker of them all is, do I trust you? And those two questions, do I care about you? Do I trust you? Those are transformational. Because if we don't get to a high trust environment, then invariably we're filtering, we're holding back. I'm not going to take informed risk because I don't trust that you have my back. And if I make a mistake, I'm going to get in trouble, which could cause me to get fired. So therefore, I'm going to do just enough, which lowers the results on the others. Hmm. And before the pandemic, maybe getting to four yeses was easier because we'd hang out at the water cooler and my spidey sense might go off and say, oh, Tim seems a little quiet. What's happening? And I would check. But of course, in Zoom land, when we're all working or more of us are working in a distributed environment, well, can you count on me? Well, I hope after two years, we've all got the equipment we need to be successful. And the depend on you may have settled down because originally at the beginning of the pandemic, can you depend on me to go the extra mile? Well, I've got three school age kids. I need to get them on the interwebs. I'm working at a rickety table. So no, you're just going to get enough. And then the care about you goes back to, has anybody asked, how am I doing? And trust, well, how would I know? Because you've not told me. So even more important today in a distributed environment is being conscious and intentional about, can I count on you? Can I depend on you? Do I care about you? Do I trust you? And recognizing it's a two-way thing. It's not enough for me to say yes about you, Tim, in our relationship, but also considering would Tim say a heck yes, thinking about his experience of working with me? And if not, I own bridging the gap. So there you go. There's a, a little bit around trust and why it is the foundation for every personal and professional relationship. Well, the thing that I like about those four points you just brought up, and I'm hopeful that someone is taking notes on this, is that those leave clues. It's not as if that's some type of... Uh, soft skill or something that we can't see. I mean, there, there are, there's action behind that. And, and I, and I think a lot of people, well, I think this is a good time to ask this question. There are people that when we start talking about relationship and especially to people that would probably be considered more extrovert, outgoing, it's difficult for me to walk into a room and not want to meet everyone. If, if it's less than 100 people, I'm actually trying to remember their names and all this stuff. I'm guessing you might be even in that same category. I think before we go much further, um, Mirag, I would like for you to talk to the person that might be listening here going, that's not my style. <laughs> that's not my personality. I gain my energy from being more alone and not around people versus the people that get their energy from connection. Now, I, I believe everybody needs connection. I believe that's what the world was created and founded on. But I, I do. before we go much further, I want us to address that person that's going, oh boy, relationships, I'm, <laughs> that's not me. I don't want to go there. So talk, talk to a little bit about to that person before we go into some other items. Well, I'd ask a question, how's that working for you? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I, I can't relate well, to it. So, so you're so, asking them. Yeah, I don't know. So the, the key here is this isn't about introversion or extroversion. This is about building meaningful connections in a way that's authentic to you. So you don't have to be the life and soul of the party to do this and do this effectively. 
But if we're not investing in our network and our relationships, um, it's fine when things are going well. It's easy to be a good colleague when things are going well. The true trust and when we really, really, really need those relationships is when the proverbial hits the fan. And so when our project is going off the rails, when the client isn't happy, when heaven forbid we find ourselves on the job market because maybe there's been a layoff, then who are you going to call in those moments? And our research for you, me, we, we found that 20% of leaders, and these leaders are all levels in an organization, not just by title. 20% of the more than a thousand leaders who've taken our ally mindset profile tell me that they have no one that they can call on in times of uncertainty at work. Not one. And that to me is heartbreaking and lonely. If I then couple that with those same thousand leaders, 67% of them tell me that their success has been undermined by the words or actions of another, then, oh my goodness, it becomes an even scarier picture. So if we had an epidemic of loneliness before the pandemic, working at a distance has only increased that. And our success depends on our ability to say, hey, Tim, do you have a recommendation for X? Hey, Tim, I'm facing this problem. I don't know how to get this piece of code to work. Do you have an answer? That is how we accelerate our impact and our reputation. That's how we accelerate our success and our careers. And to do that, we need to go first. And you talked earlier about how we can be passive and reactive. And I know early in my career, I've done that. I valued being independent. Give me a project or a target and I would go deliver it. But what I recognize now, it's the interdependence that we really need to focus on. And that's again, comes back to the power of, if you wanna go fast, go alone, it's a South African proverb, but if you wanna go far, go together. So what I'm doing in both of my books, Cultivate and You, Me, We, is providing that pragmatic framework and tools that anyone can choose to adopt. And if you choose not to, no harm, no foul, but you then don't get to complain if you're not getting the promotions, the visibility, the opportunities that you're looking for, because you're keeping your light hidden under a bushel, that you haven't got others who are advocating for you when you're not in the room. Yeah. I, I want to connect a few dots here because when we were talking about ballroom dancing earlier, we got off on a discussion of control. And then I just brought in, you know, certain personality styles. And, and then you brought up early on in your career, you wanted to be independent and I do think mm -hmm. that to a certain degree, there's there is this this desire that many people have, especially in the culture we're in. And I think maybe media and culture even promotes it to be independent, to control your world. If it is to be, it's up to me. A lot of isolation and alone type things. And even as I was reading through the book, I was sitting there as a counter saying things like, but yeah, just get the job done. Don't, don't worry about relationship stuff. And I was trying to get in the minds of someone who might be cynical about the topic. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so control is something that I think a lot of people hang on to. But I, I actually think we're stepping over into something where it's not people losing control. I think there's some real health 
and um, mental health issues that we're now seeing from the last two years. And I'm not a doctor, I don't think you're a doctor, but I'm gonna ask, what are we seeing as far as just people's mental health that were disconnected? I, I use the word connection a lot, disconnected over the last few years. Yeah, they might've jumped on a Zoom, but they weren't in offices. They, they realized how they did not have relationships. Um, can you address that at all, or at least give some observations based so I can on your experience? Give you, yeah, I can give you two examples, one personal from just this weekend and one professional and a tactic for your people. So I'm not a a doctor. I am a life practitioner. And certainly all of the research shows that that sense of belonging and connection has started to wither as we live in the world of the camera and the zoom and the six foot, foot of separation between us. And that I think is evidenced by the great resignation, the great recalibration, the great whatever you want to call it, is why would I stay somewhere where I don't feel like people care about me or I don't care about them? So people are choosing to do something different. Now, how can we do it? How can we start to rekindle these relationships? One is to slow down a little. And in my own team, for example, I know that we would not have navigated the pandemic quite as effortlessly, but for one tactic. Um, And that is every time we started a team meeting, we started at five minutes or so of ripples and joys. And ripples and joys was just an open forum where everybody on the team could share a ripple. And that could be a project milestone they'd reached, um, an impact for a client, how somebody on the team had helped them. So that's the what we do. And then the joy was anything personal or professional that had made us laugh, whether it's binge watching a Netflix thing, going for a walk outside and seeing a butterfly, maybe just dancing around my kitchen because I can't go out and ballroom dance. So anybody on this call can take two minutes before they get into the next business meeting to just check in on how are you doing? What's top of mind for you today? Ask a question that meets your own um, personality type but allows others to just give them their human perspective. So that's one. The second personal example is I've just spent the weekend in Nashville with colleagues from the 100 Coaches. And the 100 Coaches is a group of thought leaders from around the world, handpicked by Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, who's the number one executive coach in the world. And he has said about, as a a knowledge philanthropy, I can't say the word, project, is to give away his IP. And to do that through the 100 coaches with people like myself and the gods and goddesses of industry and thought leadership. Well, I joined that organization in January 2020. And in March 2020, the pandemic stopped. And so we set up a series of initially daily, but they turned into weekly Zoom calls where there would be 70 of us and we would start waving and it'd be hi, Tim, and a little personal chat would come through. How are you doing? And we would listen to Marshall. We would have group discussions and then we'd get into small groups and we would talk about what was happening and the ripple effects of the pandemic. Well, we got together for the first time in three dimensions this weekend in Nashville. And I tell you, it was like greeting old friends that I've known my whole life. So whether we're working in two dimensions or we have the opportunity to meet in three, you can create powerful relationships if you choose to look up and find your tribe. 
if you choose to show up and be all in and participate in those Zoom calls, those face-to-face conversations. And if you choose to step up and be part of that community and think about how you add value. Mm. So that for me is, if you're cynical, start small. All we need is one best friend at work and it can make all of the difference. And going back to your earlier question, don't wait for them to become your friend. In You, Me, We, we're challenging you to think about, are you a friend? How can you go first? How can you show up and make somebody else's life and work a little lighter? And in doing so, build that connection that sets you both up for success and being better together. Yeah, the reason that's that's so excellent is because one of the challenges that I saw over the last few years were that people that had a leaning towards isolation leaned into it even more they enjoyed it at first and and then i think it's actually incumbent upon others to then reach out to them and so i love Mm -hmm. that you're putting action behind that someone has to be proactive it's not just sitting around waiting for the phone to ring or the text or social whatever and so uh so that's so good i want to back up one moment before we do a deeper dive into some book things but this is related to the books pre writing uh your first book the cultivate book i would like to share one of our underlying themes here Maraga is redefining success and we do not back away from what some may call failures, but we just call it where we've had to redefine some things in our life. And you mentioned that you had a, a corporate role and then and then you went in, you know, independent mm-hmm. and did your own thing. Can you give some something from your background that will drive a few points home? And, and if it's about redefining success, you having to rethink the way you did something or it caused you to change in a big way, it would be even more powerful. So do you have something like that that leads into, and, and I want to ask you some things about Cultivate before we go to the new book? I have so many. And success for me is less about achieving that certainly was an early goal because that is invariably a false summit i mean how many of us have that dream of well when i get that car when i get that house when i get that promotion i'm going to be happy and yet when we get there there's another joneses to keep up with or another mountain to climb and it's it slows us down there is only the here and now and so when i think about sky team We've made a deliberate choice that our definition of success is not building a $50 million company. It's not having 30 employees. It's remaining small and nimble and choosing to work with clients. We have eight corporate values and fun is four of them. And it's the, are we having fun and enjoying what we do? Because if you don't look forward to Mondays, if you're, oh, thank goodness it's Friday, If you're, oh, it's only Wednesday, how am I going to get through the week? Then something needs to change. And it's either your psyche, the role, or the context. It's to do great work, so we're having a ripple effect. It's to work with great clients that are fun versus the nitty-picky, nickeling and diming one. Because then we've got that knowledge share that works together. So the definition of success has got to be personal. If you're living somebody else's definition of success 
maybe your mum and dad told you you had to be a doctor or your mum and dad told you you had to go into this career or you felt obliged to follow the family trade. If it's not lighting your fire and your passion, then find a way to do that either through the ballroom dancing or your hobbies outside of work or take ownership and change because we are the only ones who can define whether or not on our deathbed, as I look back, was my life a success? And I am hell-bent for the remainder of my life on doing that on my terms, my definitions, and then the cynics and the naysayers, good luck to you. Because there are plenty of people who are applauding and celebrating and joining that um, tribe of, of people who are helping me to realize my goals. Yeah, the, the, a bit of a long answer there as I articulated that. No, no, that's that's good because the reason that, and I'm with you. My background's engineering. I actually began blooming outside of a more technical, tactical role. I think you you were in the banking industry, and mm -hmm. and I I think we all have to go through those processes because then we learn where we need to step into our. Um, to use yeah. to use what your name means, our greatness, and and so, but to me that success is so defined by the topic that is what you write about, which is relationships. It, you know, it's not it's not the money in the bank. A lot of people will say, especially the hustle culture, which I'm kind of an anti hustle hustle culture guy now because it doesn't allow the pause and the time that you talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, and I think there might be times in our lives that we need to hustle, but boy, not that long. It'll never end. It'll never end. And <laughs> no. in fact, I could learn from you on that because I need to slow down a little bit because I always have a million things on the go. But here's another um, just short reflection for the listeners and, and watchers of this episode is to think about the heroes in your life. And, and don't go with famous people. Go with people close to home. Maybe that you would jump at the chance to work with again. The ones that you're watching thinking, oh, I wish I was more like Tim or wow, I wish I could be articulate like Morag, whatever it might be, whoever the, these people are. So first off, who's coming to mind? And so Tim, think about you. Who are the, the people who are coming to mind for you that you, are your heroes? And tell me, give me one of them and what is it about them that makes them special? Uh, I'll give you one that I was reading... Uh, an excerpt about you from you, me, we, right before we clicked on and you were talking about your dad mm -hmm. and it reminded me about my grandfather who okay. was, was a very similar personality. I don't know about their backgrounds or anything like that, but my grandfather was one that simple would have been a description for him. Very simple, lived in Northeast Mississippi most of his life but he loved people and he went out actively to to be around people i would go with him as a very young young child and we would go to it i think there's better names for it but at the time it was the old folks home <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and yep. it was just one hallway down the middle of it and it was connected to the little hospital in the small town morag and he would stop in and he would look at the name on the outside and if yeah. he felt like he had any connection he would knock on the door and we would go in and say, hey, are you related to the so-and-sos that live down in Lackey and this and all that? And here I was, three, four, five, six years old, just watching this. And I do believe it has significant impact on my relationship muscle. 
And so, okay. so big, big hero, is that what you were asking? Is that, does that help? It is. And I've asked this question of thousands of leaders around the world. And much like you, rarely do I hear, well, it was so-and-so because they were smart or it was so-and-so because they could wire a plug blindfolded and with gloves on their hands. It wasn't, you know, how smart they are and what they did. What we remember is how they made us feel. And maybe they gave us the coaching, maybe they gave us tough feedback and a kick in the pants, but it's how they made us feel that stands out for us. And that's a human skill. It's a relationship skill. So when you ask about what's the definition of success, be more like that. Whatever it is you admire in others, chances are that's in you. You just got to fan that little flame. And I'm going to raise the stakes here. May not be possible for your grandfather, but for those of you who are listening, I dare you. I double dog dare you. I want you to send a message to that person, whether it's a message to the universe for your grandfather or a LinkedIn message or a text message, however, that says, hey, I was listening to Seek, Go, Create. And I was asked to think about leaders who I admire, my heroes. And I was thinking of you and here's why. And send me a message, connect with me on LinkedIn. Let me know when you get your replies. Because when I do that, either as part of a keynote or a leadership program, we will stop everything when the replies start to come back. And they're everything from, oh, shucks, you know, what have you been drinking? What are you doing? Through the, oh, my goodness, no, you. Um, Either way, you've made their day. You've made a deposit in that relationship. You've either rekindled the relationship you've lost touch with do it. We need to tell more people about what we appreciate. And like your grandfather, we have more in common with people than we realize. So go on, make someone's day, send them that message, and then get in touch with me and let me know what the ripple effect was. Yeah, that's good. I like the proactive nature of that. In the book Cultivate, you address something called the ally mindset. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that, because to me, that seemed to be somewhat of a foundational principle for that book and, and really a lot of what you're doing. Uh, explain, explain to us what that is and how that developed. Well, think about the way we are raised, certainly in the Western society. If I think about my English schooling, American schooling that my boy's gone through, it's always me first. Can I graduate in the top X percent of my class? Can I beat the exam board? There is very little taught about the we first mindset, the team sport that ultimately is the world of work. And then we wonder why there's politics silos and turf wars or egos with big heads that um, tend to dominate. So in Cultivate, I was looking more at the inter-team dynamics, certainly in my banking career, everybody's coming and saying, hey, we're going to get rich, we're going to make new mice for the computer. Um, But then you'd see the politics silos and turf wars. So I introduced this little roundel down here, the relationship ecosystem. And the unconditional we relationship is the ally, the best friend who's got your back, the one who will cheer you on for successes but will also have your back by kicking you in the pants and giving you the tough feedback you need to hear. Supporters are fair weather friends. So it's still a we first, they're fun to work with, but it's conditional because when the going gets tough, they're not gonna put their head over the parapet and take risk for you. They'll give you the feedback and the platitudes that you want, not the tough feedback that your ally gives. 
And then on the dark side, we've got rivals, conditional me. So when it suits my agenda, I'm all for you. But when it doesn't suit my agenda, I'm against you. And so we tend to butt heads occasionally and I will prepare. And if you're going to say this, I'm going to say that. We're either going offensive or defensive, depending on how that relationship played out last time. And then the green quadrant there is the adversary. It's an unconditional me. It is at worst case the, the jerk, at best case a brilliant jerk. All you know is that relationship is tough every single day. But here's what I know is very few people get up in the morning thinking, I want to be seen as a jerk at work. I want to see if I can undermine this project. I want to be an adversary. And it's usually misunderstandings around priorities, goals, and how we're going to work together. So this had a powerful impact on teams, on cultures, on organizations, but we were consistently being asked, yeah, but that's all really well, but how do I show up as an ally if I'm surrounded by rivals? And so that's the inspiration for the new book, which comes out in October, You, Me, We, Why We All Need a Friend at Work and How to Show Up as One. And you touched on this earlier, Tim, when you said, well, we get passive. And Gallup have been asking for decades one of their engagement questions is, do I have a best friend at work? And they get pushed back on that question all the time. But their data shows that when I say yes, then you result in a more engaged workforce, a reduction in errors, a reduction in turnover, all of the goodness that we want. But I've struggled with that question because it allows me to sit back and say, no, I don't have a best friend at work, insert, gripe of choice because Tim got the promotion I should have done, because Tim's team got the budget for a project that I wanted to do, blah, blah. Instead, the question we should be asking is, am I a friend at work? So how do I show up as an ally, as a friend, not a doormat, to others, even if they aren't reciprocating? Well, that's the ally mindset profile and pinwheel you see here with the five practices that our research shows makes for those awesome colleagues that everybody was thinking about earlier on. And so that's what we're going to deeper in You, Me, We is how do I as an individual show up as an ally and a friend for others whilst also respecting my own needs, career aspirations and ambitions? Mm -hmm. Got a few questions that they're either going to be softball or curveball. We'll see Ooh. how that goes. I think they're softball. I can kind of tell, but good because I'm in St. Louis today. So, and I'm going to a baseball going game to, tomorrow. To so, see please, softballs. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I'm going to go and see the Cardinals. Um, so, which is kind of cool because at the time of recording this, they just played out in the middle of the cornfield a few days ago. I think. No, that was the Cubs. Sorry. No. Okay. Well, I think so. huh. anyway. So, so what? Um, yeah. But there are people, there are people, and we may have skirted this earlier, but there are people when they hear the statement, you need to have a friend at work that will respond something to the effect of, listen, I just want to go get my job done, get my paycheck, go home, or I don't need a lot of fluff around work. I, I've got clients that are engineering companies and, you know, more tactical and things like that. And um, I, I won't say that I could hear them saying that, but you could hear that from some people. And you just gave the statistics, but give a little bit more of a heart answer on why someone doesn't need to think that way. So 80% of my clients are IT, uh, engineering, geeks and nerds. 
very highly educated, smart individuals who recognize the importance of the soft skills. Because you think about it, every time you've been dinged in a performance review, every time a project has missed its milestones, it is rarely because the Gantt chart wasn't accurate. It was because somebody was looking at the Gantt chart and was too afraid to say, I think we're overestimating our ability to get that done. And it is that that makes the difference. So in the pinwheel here, we talk about abundance and generosity. Am I even considering and do I care about other success as much as I do my own? Can I articulate my own definition of success and how much I'm willing to give or preserve and say no to what are the guardrails for how much I try and save the world and save us? That's abundance and generosity. Connection and compassion then is, do I build a relationship beyond the job title? Do I get to know your story? Do I build that level of trust and compassion and empathy that gets us to courage and vulnerability? Courage and vulnerability is taking informed risk that may or may not work. Because if I don't believe you've got my back with connection and compassion, I'm certainly not going to go the extra mile. I'm going to do just enough. And then we're going to just get okay results, which is, means that we and the team are not going to exceed against the competition. And if we don't have courage and vulnerability, you're definitely not going to get to candor and debate, which is where people are going to give us the warnings of impending disaster before they become an issue. And then the fifth element and the fifth practice is action and accountability, because a lot of this is common sense. I mean, I know it's common sense, but it's an uncommon discipline. And so action and accountability, much like going to the gym, we all know we should eat more healthily and work out more. But how many of us, I did it this morning, um, just chose to stay in bed and scroll through social media instead of going downstairs to the hotel gym? Well, action and accountability, so I've just demonstrated I'm not perfect, is the how do we get into that virtuous circle that moves us forward and makes us the go-to colleague, the colleague that others would jump at the chance to work with again, versus the go-from colleague where we just think, oh, thank God, I don't have to work with them again. Which do you, would you rather be? And that's the power. This is why it matters. There is nobody that I know of that I've yet met in my 30-year career whose success is truly dependent only on their own actions. No one, even a solopreneur, you're still dependent on referrals from your clients. You're still dependent on the relationship with your client for them to sign up and maintain the engagement. You're still dependent on your vendors and subcontractors who may be providing elements of your product and service. We are all connected. And if we aren't investing in the human side, then we are destined for disappointment. Mm. So the, I, I love that the whole model there, the way that started was something that I think I was rolling around in my head as I read some things before I went to bed last night, and that is the abundance and generosity. I don't know if it's foundation. I don't know if those, I think they're a little bit in order. It sounds like to me there's an order to it because the first thing that I thought of, I think in the beginning of the book, um, uh, You, Me, We, there's a story about Fiona. Is that right? Is that? Yes. Okay. Oh okay. yeah. The, the friend that kept calling to BMW, bitch, moan and whine about yeah. their colleague. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, and to me, uh, the words that came to me were mature versus immature. And I kept thinking mm -hmm. about like middle school. We're in middle school, we're so concerned about other people, we think that there's only one 
boyfriend or girlfriend for us or there's only one whatever Mm -hmm. sport anyway and to me there's like this maturity and immaturity and to me I think it relates to that abundance and generosity because when people latch on to that it's almost like it just takes the lid off of and, and specifically the word abundance because if you think there's a limited number of promotions, jobs, whatever, Mm -hmm. then you're going to try to compete. And I'm going to be upset if Morag gets it instead of I do. But if I think, you know what, there's unlimited out there. So am am I going down the right path that really that abundance generosity is foundational? And and we can look at immature versus mature. I don't know if you like those words or not, but to me, that's how I kind of processed it, that there are people and there's organizations. I work with organizations where I go in and I go, Ooh, this is a very immature group of people. As far as relationships goes, talk about that or correct me. I'm open to that. If you want. No, to. no, I would be with you. It sometimes is like we're all in junior high, except we're all six foot tall now and should know better, except we're not taught this. And so we, we don't make, the implicit explicit I might say to you Tim can you go and create this spreadsheet and I am going to assume because you've got 15 years experience that you know exactly how I want it and then when you give it to me and it's missing the mark I will (laughs) but because I haven't explicitly set expectations at the beginning and because I haven't explicitly said oh Tim as part of our team how do we want to give and receive feedback I just sit and fume or I go home and I complain to my significant other, somebody, an innocent bystander that can't help. And so abundance and generosity, like all of these, it's not a, an on off. There is risks with being too much and there is risk with not having enough. Because if we have the scarcity mindset, we hoard information, knowledge is power, it's my team versus your team. That's a lack of an abundance and generosity too much abundance and generosity and come on we've probably all been there is when we say yes of course i'll do that and then sit there fuming thinking why did i say yes i'm already over committed it's finding the equilibrium and sometimes we need more and sometimes we need less but it goes back to your earlier question if we can't define success if we can't define how we want to show up like if you don't want to work weekends at sky team that is fine i love what i do so i occasionally I regularly will work when I feel inspired and that includes weekends. And I've had to say to my team over and over that just because I am doing it, I am not expecting you to do it. Mm. So with all of these, if we aren't making the implicit explicit, if we aren't talking about what's working and what's not at work, can we be surprised when we get our buttons pushed, when we're feeling that our opinions don't count, that we're not being valued, that we're not being set up for success, that we don't belong. And therefore, we either go on a quiet work to rule, I'll show them because I'm just going to do this little bit and no more, or we leave. And then leaders are like, oh my goodness, you were one of our talented employees. Why are you going? Well, because you didn't let me feel special, that I belonged, that you cared. So, going back to your earlier question about friends the misnomer is that this isn't necessarily that you have to take your friends at work home to meet your mother at the end of the day or that we have to go out after work every single day being a true friend at work means that we can work respectfully together and because of and in spite of our differences that 
is what unleashes the power of the many. That is what transforms leadership impact and reputations. Hmm. I like that you brought up the word differences because it it appears as if, and we could kind of throw this social media gas on the, the fire, that hmm. we're losing, many people are losing, and we could put this maybe in the category of being immature as far as relationships, they're losing their ability to interact with people that think, look, bring up different points, things that are different than them. And boy, that's tragic when we're talking about being productive and thriving. And so a anyway, yeah. little bit of little bit of preaching on my part well, there. Dr. Marshall Goldsmith was talking about that at the weekend, and I'd liken it here. We look for our reverent groups, the people like me, which is fine, but it's going to give me input that just reinforces the status quo. And I need to also be thinking about how do I get to my irreverent group, even if I disagree with the point of view, so that I can understand the perspective. And there's a difference between understanding the perspective and agreeing with it. There's a difference between understanding or seeking to understand the perspective and trying to change somebody's perspective. But if we aren't doing that, that's when you get the divisions that we're seeing in so many facets of life like now versus again coming together to a common goal. Because ultimately the long-term end here is the same for all of us. We're all on one planet with a finite set of resources. <laughs> and unless we can come together, Fighting over them doesn't change the outcome if they are going to run out. But I'm going on another side. But what Dr. Marshall Goldsmith was saying, that forgiveness is where it's important in terms of our relationships. And it's forgiving others for who they are and forgiving ourselves for wishing they were somebody else. Hmm. And when we can let go of that, when we can reduce the size of our ego of right or wrong or trying to win or shaming others into a different perspective, but channel curiosity and have the candor and debate, the courage and vulnerability to share and be open to, that's when we can start to influence and make a difference. And and it goes back to what we talked about earlier and, and giving the fulfillment and the joy, happiness, whatever words we want to use that that really all of us are seeking in life. Yes. Mariah, what do you want people, and, and you've got two books. I read portions of both. They're in my inbox, so that I'll be reading them. But where do you want someone to start if they're just now connecting with you? And what would you like them to take away? What is like a takeaway that you want people to, to have when they interact with um, specifically the new book that's coming out probably about the time the podcast and YouTube releases. If someone's watching this earlier on Facebook, they can, uh, they can go about it. But what, what do you want people to get from these books? So first step, self-awareness. So take the Ally Mindset Profile with my compliments, and they can go to skyteam, S-K-Y-E, team.cloud, as in cloud in the sky, forward slash you, me, we, and that will take you straight to the Ally Mindset Profile. From there, check out youmewebook.com, order the book, read the book, be my ally, please, because this is all about books in the world. And that will give you some more insights to help you go deeper with the profile that you've done. But if you connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me at skyteam.com, you will start to see some of uh, my podcast episodes and the conversations that help to reinforce 
that the ultimate message that you cannot be successful in business or in life unless you are successful in cultivating winning relationships. This is not a soft, fluffy need to, um, might do. This is fundamental. It's a need to do. Hmm. So go first, look up, show up, step up. Because as I've said, business is personal and relationships matter. Yeah, I like that. Also, I did take the profile, the Ally Mindset profile, and I got a 82 percentage on that. And I feel like that's a, a B minus. <laughs> well, I, I, I take it and I get something the same. So there are elements of those five practices that come easily to me, abundance and generosity, candor and debate, less so. I, I freak out over tough feedback, but I've learned to flex and practice with my colleagues. So take it and find your own strengths, your natural aptitudes, but also the opportunities where you may need to be more deliberate, more thoughtful about how you show up and the impact that has on how others feel in your presence mm. and how you feel in your own presence. Because if you're saying yes to things and then internally fuming with yourself, then that would imply there's a little bit more work to be done on the abundance and generosity and setting those boundaries. Yeah, I think my, my higher scores were candor and debate and action and accountability. So those were my nice. highest. So we, we could have fun if we interacted. So there are mm -hmm. so many things we can address here. And I, I, I want to encourage, I think you just gave some resources and some things for people to do. All of that will be in the notes. So make sure you check that out. We are Seek, Go, Create here, Mirag. And I'm going to give you one of those words to choose that resonates with you or you're feeling it more than the other two or whatever you want to say, which word do you choose and why? And that's my last question. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to take all three and cheat. No. Because it just came to me. I was listening to, but I'm going to start with create. So how about create? Okay. Create the life you love by seeking the people who help you to thrive and choose to go first in making and nurturing those relationships because what have you got to lose ah all right well that could be a highlight reel right there thank you for doing that in all of our interviews and episodes i've only had one other person cheat i admire the cheating and uh and using we, my initiative and we will make it worth work so uh if you've been listening i want to encourage you again to go get the resources that Mirag brought up. I actually went through the assessment. I think that's a great first step. I've got both books that are on my Kindle that I've been going through reading. And one of them is a preliminary copy, but, uh, but I've got it and both are excellent, well done. I think we didn't mention the second book is a team effort for her, her folks mm -hmm. at Sky Team that uh, they worked on. Just get them. This is something to me. I'm going to preach just a minute and then wrap up. This is something that I believe we are lacking and discussing more in our culture and society. And I think it's foundational. I think it's causing some of the issues that uh, that we're seeing. So I appreciate all that you and your team are doing. And thank you for sharing. And the thing I'm going to ask uh, people to do here that are listening as we wrap up is share this episode because I, I know that you know some people that are going through some issues, some 
items, they're, they're struggling in their work environment, struggling in business, or just struggling with life, I, with Mirag, agree a lot of this is relationship. We need people more than ever. And I believe we're going to need it even more as society and cultures continue. So anyway, thanks for listening in. Thank you so much, so much, Mirag. Until, until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.